So to me, it, it, we're just beginning. And if using a baseball analogy, you know, we're probably at about the third inning of gastrointestinal P-based, uh, uh, you know, investments. We're not in the eighth inning. We're clearly in the third inning. So Dr. Partha Nandi, uh, thank you so much for joining me today on this conversation. Before we get started, I want to congratulate you on uh, being the seventh private equity platform in gastroenterology. Uh, you just made the announcement, so congratulations to you and your team. Well, thank you so much, Praveen, for having me. We're excited and it's a inside my honor to be able to represent our organization and, and, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to talk about it a little bit. Excellent. Uh, so I want to first uh, start by asking you, how did you arrive at this decision first to decide that you do want to do PE and after that arriving uh, at this decision with uh, HIG? You know, when, when, as gastroenterologists and as independent gastroenterologists, our practice began in 1992, Praveen. So we've been, you know, working and doing well. We started off a group of two back in 1992 and you know, we've now grown to over 19 providers in our practice and with multiple locations. So for us, the decision was, how are we going to be able to give the kind of care that we're giving and, and being able to extend that uh, and, and to other groups? And then second is providing the environment that we have for our providers and how do we replicate that, right? So those are our two goals. And felt, we felt like organically within our group, we'd grown sufficiently, but the next step would require professionalization, right? Meaning that if we want to get other groups to be involved and really have some of our strengths and some of other, the strengths of other groups come into the fold, we need to professionalize our organization. And we thought, how are we gonna do that? Now we can, we can do the traditional merging of groups in gastroenterology. You know, all of us are pretty independent. So we said, well, maybe, maybe that may not work. It could, but it may not work. The second option would be, should be partner with a hospital partner. We have great relationships with our hospitals. So should we then partner with, with the hospital? One of, one of the other options, the third option that we, that we picked was private equity. So this management services organization concept was, was attractive because it's, it's, you're, you're part of a, an organization and this organization is your common thread with all these other groups that we will be partnering with. And yet, you're still maintaining independent practice. That, that was critically important for us. The most exciting conversations we had about this is, you know, can we develop an IBD center of excellence? Can we finally effectively do obesity management? Can we you know, revolutionize how our endoscopy centers deliver care? Listen, I'm not gonna be naive and say this is not also a financial transaction. Of course it is, because we could do other things as well. But this, to, be, to, to me, was the best way. And our partners, uh, we felt, you know, our partners at Center for Digestive Health, we felt this is the right way. So we began, I would say, 18 to 20 months ago, Praveen. And we started with about 150 private equity firms. And, and uh, with my partners at KPMG, I personally met with 67 of those firms. And then over a course of several meetings in New York, Chicago, Dallas, and Detroit, we narrowed it down to... Um, a dozen and then to five and then we, we did an LOI in the, in, in the middle of COVID, uh, the pandemic. That's how we picked our partners at HIG. They've been extremely successful in what they do. 
you know, their return is, is tremendous, right? So that's a baseline financial. But what's also important is in all the management meetings, you know, for me, I always said, you know, what, we have a very simple litmus test for our practice. You know, if we do something, my mom or any of my partner's mothers or parents should be able to come and get it done, right? So it's, it, it's, it's a, it, it may sound um, very basic, but it's very, very fundamental. Whole um, idea, the quality standards and, and, and being able to do the right thing is important resonated with HIG tremendously. And they're extremely conservative and they wanna be able to, you know, the, the quality of medicine and, and, and being able to do things the right way was extremely important. And they wanted us to be able to practice in the way we have been and to accentuate what we've been doing. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll ask something that uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, many in the audience, you know, would want to know. Why didn't you join an existing PE platform, because largely, uh, if you talk to them, they would say uh, that these are their goals too, to take care of the patient, uh, keep up with quality and, and also financially benefit. And, and, and there were plenty of options. So why didn't you go that route? That's an excellent question. So I met with all the, all the, the platforms early on, GastroHealth, GI Alliance, US Digestive, Oh, I think I met every single one that existed at the time. And here's, here's the, the fundamental reason why. Healthcare and the ex, and delivery of excellence in healthcare is, is regional and, and local. Here's what we, we want. We want to be able to have folks that understand what the geography means. Michigan's a, a different environment than California, which is a different environment than Florida, which is a different environment than Texas, which is clearly a different environment than some Pennsylvania. There are some national payers and there's some national environments that are common, but regional density and regional focus is critical in this. My, my goal is to be able to do this, you know, talk to my colleagues in Michigan and in the Midwest to be able to, to, to really do something that we want to. For example, we would like to contract directly with employers. How do you do that? You can't do that if you have a center in Oregon, a center in in Illinois, a center in, in Massachusetts. And then you say, well, you know, we like this practice in Michigan, you know, of 19 providers to really be able to, to give you the employer who has 52,000 employees in Michigan. You know, we'd like to be able to deliver care for you. That doesn't work. I can show you that my, my ASC with the HHC survey had zero citations and we were commended for an award from the AAAHC. I can say that from, from a physician perspective, right? And then we have partners who can then show the spreadsheets and the financial analysis that show that this can be something that, that can work and, and be financially successful for them. So that plus payers, you know, the payers in Michigan, there are some dominant payers in Michigan. Could, could we contract with them with a national, with a national company with, a couple of practices in Michigan, maybe, but I think it's much more likely if we have the entire market in Michigan, the majority of physicians uh, that are in gastroenterology and we come with uh, common concerns and a common theme of efficiency, I think we'll be more successful. Uh, it's, it's been uh, about a week or so since your announcement. So what is your agenda for the first 90 days? As you know, as, as many of the, I think folks even listening may know, the first literally first six months to a year is 
is, is one of transition, right? You're trying to get everything organized and it's a completely different organization. So there, there are two answers. One is organizationally from Pinnacle GI, the management services organization, and, and I serve on the board. So I have a different role in, in, uh, from the MSO than from the practice. So the practice continues on, right? From the patient perspective, there really is no difference. We continue to provide the best care. We're not changing that. Uh, we're not going to dramatically change what we do because we've done it well. However, on the MSO side, here's what we're doing is getting ready to make sure that the organization can run smoothly. Number one, right? What do we do You know, from all of the, it, it's overlooked, but all the nitty gritty, where do the accounts go to? Who becomes, what are the non-clinical entities versus the clinical entities? And, and, and what, what are we going to do, right? What are we gonna do with our partnerships? We're blessed that, that we have a, um, a partnership coming on by the end of this year. We have another uh, group of physicians that are going to be uh, our partners coming up. So we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're planning on how we're going to integrate, right? Integrate with, with that group so that we can have our common strengths be accentuated, right? So they can um, help us, we can help them immediately. The key to this is it's not about just add two teaspoons of groups, add water, mix, and voila. This is a the critical part of a success of a gastrointestinal platform is integration and how you integrate effectively. And that involves planning. That involves finding out what you're going to do for revenue cycle management. What are you going to do for financial management? Who are your GPOs going to be for your traditional payers? Who's your CFO going to be? How are you going to be able to manage, you know, a, com a completely different organization that's that's almost separate from the practice entity in our state? So we're doing all that. We're we're developing targets for growth, meaningful targets, right? The one thing that can happen, and this is one of the things that anybody who's listening knows, um, hopefully, or if they don't know, they should be aware of that. You can grow, but you can grow in a way that's not meaningful. Right? You can just keep adding people on without any real plan for integration. That will fail because all you're doing is adding layers of bureaucracy and, and overhead without really having to understand what can you do. So our plan also is to look at our, you know, we have a pipeline of folks that we're talking to for physician groups that are going to be our partners and finding out, you know, what ancillary lines do they have? What, what can they help us with? Is there a group that does infusion better than the platform group, which is us? And how, how can we integrate with them? And what's the plan for that? And in, in 2021, first quarter, what's our what's our plan for doing that? Right. So we we've got to get those things settled. If there's a pathology pathology lab that that these folks use, uh, do they do they use it? Do they not use it? You know, we were very interested in obesity management. Is there a strategy for obesity management? How can we plan that out? So and and looking at it from an organizational structure to see how much we need to grow, but also from a financial perspective to see what kind of capital expenditures we do. Those CapEx costs are gonna be you know, important to plan for because in this transaction, and I, and I didn't go through it with it, but you've done that before, is that you know, part of this is also, you have lenders that are involved in this and, and you have to have the lenders understand, right? that what is gonna be the trajectory of your group. So what are you gonna be your financial needs? Those are critical to understand now so that when we, when we get there, we have dry powder to be able to, to accomplish those. But it's exciting to, to be able to form an organization that 
is really going to be able to serve the under the underserved market in in, in Michigan. I think that's going to be uh, exciting. Got it. So what you know, one of the aspects of private equity, not just in gastroenterology, but all of medicine, or the concerns is the the conflict. Uh, between clinical aspirations and business aspirations. And uh, even in the book, Scope Forward, some of the interviews that I've done, when I ask people, you know, what are your concerns? They bring this up and they talk a lot about keeping the clinical goals separate from the business goals uh, and so on. But as we know, sometimes this can come in conflict. I'm wondering, as you're getting started, uh, you know, with your PE partner, what you're doing to lay this in place. That's a great question, you know, and, and I think that the traditional view is this, right? The traditional view that people are petrified for, and, and they should be, is that there is an inherent conflict between financial goals and clinical goals, right? This is why I, you know, I spent almost 20 months finding the right uh, private equity partner. Not all private equity is, is, is made equally. That You have to understand that. And, and once you know that you have to let folks know what your goals are. To us, clinical excellence, clinical quality, you know, supersedes everything. There's nothing nice about the COVID-19 pandemic. Let me, let me assure you. But what was, what was great to find is you had a situation that tested that philosophy, right? Did you have a private equity firm that tried to force things to continue to go ramp up or do things that are unsafe during the pandemic. You heard, I'm sure you've heard of instances where, you know, physicians were asked to, to practice unsafely because private equity firms were leveraged and they, they really didn't do the right thing. Well, what was nice about us is in the top five of all of our choices for private equity, every single one of those firms shut down all their clinical activity during COVID. But again, remember what I said before is that we have a Pretty simple criteria. If it's good enough for my mom and it's good for the practice, right? With all of our practitioners and it's good for the bottom line, we do it. All those three criteria are not met, we just don't do it. But if something is bad for clinical success, but it makes more money, we won't do it. We won't, we haven't, and we will not do it in the future. In the first quarter of 2020, our, you know, one of our junior partners, we're gonna have him on the partnership track to be able to be part of this MSO. I want him in 20 years to be able to say, wow, that was a great, great decision that really changed our trajectory, right? So in your question though, you said, what about some of the expectations? So here's why I think the 90 day plan is extremely important. As you know, you know, in, in all of your work that you do, you're very thoughtful in, in letting folks know economically how to be right, realistic in their expectations. You know, you wanna be bullish. I mean, you, you want to be like, you know, you want to go for it and not, not say that you're going to, you know, be stymied up, but you have to be realistic. You don't want to make growth such an important part that you forget about what it is that you're supposed to do. We're physicians, we're healers and caregivers, right? I'm still excited about taking care of patients, right? And being able to help them. So our, our goals for, for, for growth are great. We're, we have tremendous goals. But when you have a practice that, becomes a partner, you, you know, we want them to continue to do what they feel is best for their practice, right? Because we're choosing these partners carefully. The criteria is not that, do you have a pulse and come on in? That's not our criteria. We're gonna be choosy. First of all, we're gonna, we're gonna pick our partners to be practicing good quality medicine. And then we're gonna say, 
you know, we don't, we're not here to impose upon you manners in which you should practice, right? Michigan's a practice medicine state. The practice is separate from the, from the MSO. There are relationships, of course. However, nobody's going to tell us how to practice. Here's the difference, though. If somebody, you know, knows that they can have a better revenue cycle management so that they can actually collect a few percentage higher than they do and spend a few percent less, why wouldn't they do it, right? Why wouldn't they do it? If they can, they can buy an infusion drug for a few percentage less because the fact that they belong to a, a GPO that, you know, that, that a buyer group that can actually help them, why wouldn't they do that, right? If they have a financial management system that shows them that, that this is where you have duplicity and this is where we feel you can actually grow. If you feel like there's an ancillary line, let's say you don't do infusion and you don't have to metaphorically stub your toe and learn by mistakes that people who've already done it and done it successfully, that can show you as part of this MSO. The question around valuation in general, which is, uh, as I understand, it, it's, it's a measure of adjusted uh, EBITDA. And when you adjust EBITDA, uh, one of the important factors is physician productivity or physician uh, future productivity. Now, just going based on uh, historicals, one big driver for physician productivity is screening colonoscopies and, and procedures because that is very much tied in. And given some of the technologies which are coming and are already here, uh, let's say the trajectory of GI takes a shift and somehow uh, those productivity assumptions are not met. Uh, so what happens in terms of your relationship with the PE partner if uh, those uh, EBITDA assumptions uh, don't come true? You know, here, here's, here's the, the truth of this, right? So private equity does not go in with just blinders on saying that we're not going to look and we're going to just, you know, be blind to everything that's going on. They're, they're making an investment, an investment that's not without risk, right? So, I mean, this is part of the reason why we, we need partners that are adept financially and are experienced. So there's no crystal ball saying that you're absolutely gonna be successful. Is there a chance of failure? Of course, in any of these transactions that's, that's present in any kind of private equity or other financial transactions, there are risks, right? Of industry disruptions that are not only here, but can come in the future, right? That's in every field that you have. I mean, today, Amazon is a dominant market player in, in, con, in consumer uh, products, right? But it's not to say that there could not be a player that's coming in, in three years that's going to take them off trajectory. So what I'm suggesting is that absolutely, are there going to be challenges in gastroenterology, in dermatology, in anesthesiology, in every specialty that private equity is investing in? Absolutely. Here's where the, the, the challenges can be overcome as you suggested in many of your, in your writings, is that you have to be prepared for it, right? It doesn't mean that you stop investing in endoscopy centers or ASCs. You, you wanna be able to in, in, in invest in, in all kinds of patient care modalities that really help the patient, right? And, and, and of course, endoscopy is a big part of it, but you also wanna be able to diversify it so that if liquid biopsy is a huge part of what's happening in, in care in five years, if it's a dominant play, you have to understand how to incorporate that into your practice. You have to also be able to be flexible enough to say that, 
Could we add radiology, radiology services to our practice? Could we add obesity management to our practice? Could we add revenue lines and ancillary lines that help patients that we're not doing now, right? That we can own some of this. Can we be this, an IBD center of excellence really managing the entire experience um, for the patients, right? We understand and we feel that the future is bright for patients. And how can we be part of that future? Being part of the future is, is listening to visionaries like yourself who talk about this every week, every day about looking at the future and paying attention, listening, and then adjusting your organization accordingly. So you'll be able to handle those challenges and thrive, not just survive, but thrive in the future. That's not a pipe dream. It can actually happen. You can pivot. If we remember one thing, all of those so-called challenges are incredible opportunities for patients. And as a consequence, they're opportunities for us if we have the vision and also the ability to look beyond what's right in front of us, right? Having myopic vision is a, not a recipe for success in anything, especially in these kind of endeavors. There's a famous hockey player, uh, Wayne Gretzky. And Wayne Gretzky was always asked, Wayne, how come you're so good? And, and you're always able to score goals. He said, I'm not better than anybody else. I just happen to know where the puck is going to be before it gets there. And so I'm there before the puck gets there. I would offer to you, that's what Pinnacle GI is going to do. We're going to be able to try to understand where the puck is going to be, where the technology is going to be, where the care is going. So we're there. And so it's so we're not only meeting the challenges, we're exceeding them. And our expectations are not, not actually dampened, but they're exceeded. Mm -hmm. On that note, Partha, I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts. It was fantastic. So I wish you all the best and uh, your partners at Pinnacle GI as well as you uh, lay the foundation for this future. Uh, was there anything uh, that you wish to share before we close? Absolutely. You know, thank you for the opportunity. The one thing I wanted to say was that there was there's some people fear that the, the seventh platform is this, you know, are we plateauing? Are there enough opportunities there? What I would offer is that in, in, in dermatology, there's 17 DMGs or dermatology management groups at 17. And even with those 17, Praveen, that we, it, it's a still a fragmented dermatology market. We're incredibly fragmented in gastroenterology. And I think there are many ways to be able to do this both regionally and nationally. And I think what, what this allows us to do is, is maintain independent gastroenterology practices in the United States, giving this excellent care that we know we can. So to me, it, we're just beginning. And if using a baseball analogy, you know, we're probably at about the third inning of gastrointestinal PE-based, uh, you know, investments. We're not in the eighth inning. We're clearly in the third inning. So I think that the future is bright, and and folks who are looking at this and listening to this, you know, if you if you think that your practice can really benefit from it, I I encourage you to look at Pinnacle GI and others to see if it's a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you.